Acts chapter 2, and then also I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1. So Acts 2 is where we begin. With verse 1 of chapter 2. And going through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia? Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and uh, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only about the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quote, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Then the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 1, "...in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let us pray this morning. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. Your Word that corrects us. 
the bread of life. And so now, Lord, would You feed us from Your Word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pentecost. Um, Really, in the church's calendar, the longest of our uh, seasons that we will celebrate throughout the church year. As you know, the church year starts at the last Sunday in November, which is the first Sunday of Advent, and moves all the way, of course, to to uh, <clears throat> um, the one before that, which would be the what third uh, Sunday in November. And from this Sunday here, which is Pentecost, all the way to that Sunday in November, you have about 23 to 24 Sundays where we are after Pentecost, which is the largest section of our season and runs all the way through fall and into, into basically winter almost. And it celebrates this season, uh, the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think it says something to us um, just by the sheer volume of season that He's given, something about our own Christian life, and that is we need God's Spirit in us. We live by God's Spirit. And without God's Spirit, uh, as Paul would say, concerning love, we are nothing. Without God, without love, and love is God and God is love, then we are nothing. We're just sounding off. We're just going for a cause. But ultimately, we have nothing in the end. The Jews celebrated Pentecost. It wasn't a... Wasn't a um, <clears throat> festival just for Christians that was invented somehow, but instead Pentecost actually is a something that was set up in the Old Testament. And it was a festival that celebrated the giving of the law. And of course, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit descends on Pentecost. Now, <laughs> if you remember what Ezekiel says, what Jeremiah says, what Isaiah says, and also other prophets in the minor prophets, and that is that when the Spirit comes, God's law comes. Where? To our very hearts. So in the Old Testament, there's an external law that's given in order to show our sinfulness. In the New Testament, the internal law is given, written on our very souls. So as a Christian, when you do something sinful, when you do something wrong or out of line then God's law is already written on your heart. You know that. You feel conviction if you have God's Spirit. If you do not, then you hurt other people. You do whatever you do sinfully, and you don't think twice about it. That's why sometimes you look at other people who are not Christian and say, how could they do that? Well, because they don't have an inner law. And without knowing the external law, they don't even know it's wrong. The Spirit brings the internal law and the Spirit has been given to all people. This is why in Jeremiah he'll say, there will be no need in that day to say, do this or do that because everyone will know what they need to do if they have the Spirit of God. So, some people call Pentecost, this day of Pentecost, today also the birthday of the church. Um, whereas the Eastern Orthodox don't see it that way at all because they believe the church has always existed. 
uh, the body of Christ, in other words, has always existed. Uh, Even before Christ came, there was a body that He had called and ordained and predestined, the Israelites, the Jews. And now we, the church, who is not a nationality or a race or a gender, but instead those who are a part of the body, a part of His who partake of His blood, who partake of His very flesh and are baptized into His death. That's what makes us in the body of Christ and lodges us there as we have faith in God. So this day is a, uh, is a fascinating day. And not only that, in light of the 20th century, just to be a little historical here, in light of the 20th century, also the renewal of the Holy Spirit because of Pentecostalism and Charismaticism. Uh, these movements who we all are aware of, of speaking in tongues and so on and so forth, and the gifts of the Spirit and this resurgence and renewal of the Spirit has been upon us now for a whole century. Um, And so it's also one of the fastest growing denominations in the Christian church. Uh, And without critiquing that here, I'll just leave it at that, that there has been a renewed interest. So it is fascinating and a fascinating day that we come to today And most importantly, what I want to share with you today um, in the thoughts that I've uh, already gone through and prepared for us this morning is for you. Not for someone else, but for you. For me. You see, the Spirit of God, as we see here, was a promise from God. Remember what Jesus tells them, wait in Jerusalem. Don't go out trying to witness and start churches and go on missionary journeys until the Spirit has come. You will have no power. You will fall on your face and fail if you try to do it on your own. Which we've seen the disciples already try to do that in the Gospels, have we not? Every time Peter steps his foot out uh, to try to do something good, he does it half good and the rest is garbage. And Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Which Jesus Jesus said to me many times, get behind me, Satan. It seems that when I do one good thing, there's a thousand other things that are bad. And as I've said before, you don't get complimented on the good things, you only get noticed for the bad things. That's how life runs. That's why your children often say, it's not fair. It's why I often said it wasn't fair, because you do all these good things, but it's that one moment where you do something, and that's what you're known for. That's why a testimony is so important for us to build, and a testimony has to be built over many years and can be lost in one moment. It's kind of like what um, <clears throat> it's kind of like what Gandalf uh, says to the company as they're marching through on their journey. He basically says, "To fall to the right or to the left is failure for the whole company. What you're walking upon is actually a knife on this journey." And the more we live life, the more it becomes clear that it really is that. 30 minutes can ruin your life. That's how simple it is. That's how fragile we are. And yet, God has given us a gift. His very Spirit. The same Spirit that descended on Jesus descends on us. I mean thought of thoughts right there. The same Spirit that empowered Him to do miracles empowers us. 
the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead also will raise us up from the dead. Notice that in the Creed, uh, in that final section, is where we have the resurrection of the dead, the judgment, the quick and the dead. Why? Because we believe in the Holy Spirit, that's why. He's the one who quickens us, makes us alive. He is the one who gives us the power to live the Christian life. We cannot do it on our own. We will not do it by our own strength. It's the lesson I learned at 17 when I gave everything over to God, even my good works, and said, this is not enough. He said, that's right, that's what I've been trying to teach you the whole time. It's not enough. Sin is not enough and neither are your good works. And both are wrong-headed. I am the only thing that's right for you. And good works are produced from that because you love me. Because you will be obedient to me. You see, the Holy Spirit is a gift just like life is a gift. And truly, life is connected to the Spirit, is it not? Isn't that what Genesis teaches us in the creation story? He forms us. Isn't that what, it, what Casey just read from Ezekiel? He forms us up, breathes into us, and that makes us a living person. Ezekiel's vision, what does it show to us? Dead bones. Yeah, they're raised up. There's a rattling. Uh, by the wind, but until He gives them flesh and life by breathing on them, they are just dead bones. It's interesting to think about life and to think about what it means to have a self. (laughs) Because psychology would teach many things, but let me just throw this out. You can't be a complete person without the Holy Spirit. There's a capacity in you for God. You were made to share in God. And what a thought that is. You're you're meant to be one with God. And when you are not one with God, you're acting subhuman. Which is why when we see something heinous on television or we hear of some grotesque crime, we say, what kind of animal did that? Because remember what Psalm 8 teaches us and what the Old Testament teaches us and the New, and that is we are hanging between a pure animal existence on the one hand and a pure spiritual existence on the other. We're not an angel, which is pure spirit, and we're not just a beast, which is pure nature. Instead, we're both. We are a unique creation created by God and designed that way. And to fall into either one of those heresies of denying our body or of making the body everything, they're both sinful. Instead, only Christ who get this, (laughs) God is a spirit, right? And yet He takes on flesh in Jesus Christ. I mean, that is what's so unique about the incarnation. God incarnates Himself, wraps Himself in our flesh, 
in order to raise our flesh from an animal existence and away from just a pure spiritual existence into a spiritual animal. One that we call a person. It's what a person means. A person that is meant for God. Truly one cannot be one's self without God. That's why I can't remember who I read it from uh, in seminary, but he called the Holy Spirit the personalizing person. Because He's a person that comes into our life and personalizes us. Makes us what we really ought to be. Like that old song says. We know we can't do it on our own. At least I hope you know that by now. Most of us are nearing our 30s, if not there already. Hopefully we've learned and old age will continue to teach us that we can't do it on our own. It's a hard lesson to learn. It's one that teenagers uh, don't like to learn, or young people. But babies seem to know it. That's why they cry. They know when they cry, they get things done. Not them, but someone else gets it, gets about. Which is why the Scripture then would tell us, cry out to God. Cry to God. That's what the psalmist continues to Cry out. Why? Because that gets things done. Not you. We must wait for the Lord. We must be patient for the Lord. We must be still and know that He's God, so to speak. So, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and makes us personal. Breathes within us life. Without Him, we become, if you will, subhuman, unhuman. Less than what we were created to be. I wish I could read to you, and I know you'd get bored, but C.S. Lewis paints a great picture in several of his books. Um, But in one in particular, Mere Christianity, which maybe you've read before, he says basically that we as humans, in our decision-making, which every decision is leading us one way or to the next, either to some angelic being that if you were to meet him, you would say, wow, that's Christopher? That's Jessica? Man! You know, because in The Great Divorce, uh, they're standing there and they're looking across this country and there's this bright light coming through the through the woods and there's this whole host of people and this lady that's riding on a on a horse and it just looks so majestic. She looks so queenly, if you will. And he says, man, who, who is that? And the angel tells him, says, well, she was no one on earth as far as famous, but here she's known all over the place. She was just a mom. She was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't have some great job, glamorous job. She wasn't known in the papers or in magazines or no one really knew her name outside of her immediate family and the friends that she loved. But here, she's famous. (laughs) Which I think is a picture exactly of what truly lies at the heart of us if we allow God to be there. We're kings. We're queens. But we dabble around, we meddle around in things 
that are sub and below us, beneath us. And we know it when we do it. We feel dirty. Notice the terms for sin that David explains in Psalm 51 in his penitential psalm where he's repenting of his sin. He feels dirty. He feels unclean. Clean me, O God. Wash me, O God. Cleanse me from this. We know when we've played around in filth. And it makes a notch on us. It turns us, what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. And, and this turning is either ultimately toward God and other people, or it's inward, toward ourself and what we want. And one day, he says, we'll meet those same people we knew, and they'll be the most hideous nightmare some type of hellish existence, or there'll be some type of beautiful form that we never thought possible. And it's all because of the choices we make today, whether or not to submit to God and not look at ourselves and look at other people, or to do what we want to do. Again, go back to what. He said in Lord of the Rings, it's like a knife. And you must walk upon that and not sway to the left and not sway to the right or the whole company will fail. How many families have failed because somebody swayed to the left? Somebody wanted their way. How many people, how many persons were destroyed in that matter? You see, the reality is sin never just affects us. I really wish it did, but it never does. It affects everybody. Everybody in this room. Everybody in your family. All of your children. It affects everyone. The good news is Jesus takes all of that into Himself and can transform us into something beautiful. You notice how... When, we're, when we do something virtuous, when we love somebody, when we, when we give ourselves and sacrifice something, we would rather have it this way, but we go ahead and do it for the sake of another person. It lifts us up beyond... People look at that and say, that's heroic. That's commendable. Wow, how could, a, how could somebody even do that, give their life like that? You hear stories coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan, of people laying down their life for other people in the midst of a firefight, going out and saving someone. And you say, how, how, how would you have the strength? How could a human do that? We're all about ourselves. Well, because virtue lifts us out of that animal existence into something else, into the nature of God. That's what it does. Only the Spirit can empower someone to do that. And we, and we, we know that feeling when we have been more than we can be. And we love it. It's true joy when that happens. No one has to try to make themselves happy at that point. They are happy. See, happiness is never found in looking for it. (laughs) It's in looking to God that we find happiness. It's just like the quicksand again. The more you try to find happiness in the world, the further it is that you get caught in the world or caught in the web 
of the world. Spinning around, getting yourself trapped. That's what Daddy used to always say. Sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, make you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. And the longer you struggle in it and try to find satisfaction there, the deeper down you go. Until one day you wake up and you're not the person you wanted to be at 34 or 31 or 28. You see, as I said in the title of the sermon today, the Holy Spirit is the flame of love, which is a term given to the Holy Spirit by Clark Pinnock. He's a flame. A flame that was found in the Old Testament that led them by night through the wilderness. Have you ever been in the wilderness and needed a light? I mean, allegorically, as well as maybe physically. But you ever needed light? Again, I think of the Lord of the Rings when they're in Moria. Gandalf is leading the way with his rod and he has a light on it. Without that, they would have been lost. Possibly lost forever. They came upon caverns and ravines that were all of a sudden, there's one step and then there is no step and it's down into the abyss. The Holy Spirit is our guide. Isn't that what He just said? He's our advocate in Acts 2. Uh, in the John reading, Jesus says, He is an advocate for you. Another term is paraclete. He's the one that comes alongside of us. <laughs> I'm not trying to make Gandalf into a Holy Spirit-like character in Tolkien, but the, thing, the reality is, Sometimes we don't feel like the Holy Spirit is there, but just when we need Him and we wait for Him, then He comes. It's exactly what happens in The Hobbit. It's exactly what happens in The Lord of the Rings. At the moment they need Him the most, He already foresaw that they needed Him. Let me tell you, there's times on this journey in life where we feel alone. We feel like we're the one making the decision. Isn't that the case? And isn't that the case on their journey? I mean, I'm sure all of you have seen the, at least the movie. I know that some of you have read the books. Sometimes they have to make decisions what they thought would be best. And that's how we have to make decisions sometimes. We have to say, Lord, I'm going to start walking this way, and if you want me to stop, then you need to come and tell me. Because I think this is the right way to go. It may not be, but it may be. <laughs> It's an interesting journey that we're on. But the Holy Spirit is our guide. He is the flame uh, in our hearts. Let me tell you, if some of, some of you know people who have cold hearts. That's what, what we call them. What cold-hearted person? Because they don't have this flame of love, the Holy Spirit, to warm their heart. They're cold. They're a stone. Also, sin always happens, so to speak, in the dark. It's why while robbers cover their faces. 
It's why Gollum was found in the very heart of a mountain. If you remember the story. He was in total darkness forever. Skin was cold. And yet, the Holy Spirit can come to our coldness. Come to our darkness. It's why He's been gifted to us. Because the reality is, we really are cold-hearted. We care about ourself. And when God comes in, that care must leave. Again, Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, which is a made-up story about a bus trip to heaven. Sorry, yeah, a bus trip from hell to heaven. And there's an angel, a seraph, which has to do with fire, by the way. And if you remember Isaiah's vision in chapter 6 of Isaiah, where he gets the coal of fire and touches his tongue, it's the same type of thing. There's a lizard on this guy's shoulder, and he's kind of interested, the guy that's touring heaven here with this angel, he's kind of interested in this lizard. The lizard keeps whispering stuff in this guy's ear. And he's like, well, i, I got to go, guys. I, I'm, I'm going to go on back down you know, to hell. Uh, he'd had enough of heaven. He said, this little guy won't shut up here, you know, so I, I need to get him out of here. You know, he's whispering some not good things into my ear. The lizard represented lust, by the way. Uh, and he said, I've got to get him on out of here, you know, because he, he, he didn't really like up here. He's like, well, you don't have to, you don't have to leave. He can leave. Uh, and he said, well, no, it's okay. I, I'll, just, I'll just head on back down. He said, well, do you want me to take care of him? You need to take care of him, make him shut up. He said, sure, yeah, that, that'd be good. And he came close, the, the angel did, and the guy's like, whoa, whoa, you're burning me. Hang, hang on, what? You, just stop right there. He's like, I thought you said you wanted me to take care of it. He said, well, I did, but I mean, I didn't want you to hurt me. He said, well, if I take care of him, it'll hurt for a moment, but then everything will be better. He's like, well, I don't know. And he's like, I guess you can go ahead and do it. And he starts to add him again. And he says, well, hang on, are you going to kill him? He says, yes, I'm going to kill him. He said, well, I didn't mean for you to kill I mean, there's no reason to talk about killing anything here. I mean, that's not really what we wanted to do. I mean, I just don't, just don't worry about it. And he's like, well, do you want me to or not? Because the only way for freedom is for me to kill it. And he says, well, I guess after a struggle there and a conversation, he finally allows him to kill it. And the lizard, after he kills it, becomes a great stallion. <laughs> which is exactly what God wants to do in our life. Transform dirty, cold things in our life into something great, and something that we never saw before. But we must die. It's the only way to new life. Isn't that what Jesus said Himself? Unless a man lays down his life, he will not find new life. It's like a grain of wheat unless it's thrown in the ground and dies, germinates, becomes something more than itself can it become a tree. Unless we lose our life, we will never find life, the Holy Spirit. And the longer we hold on, the further down we'll sink the more bent over we'll be. The more inward looking we will act. It's not what God has in plan for us because He sent His flame to us 
to burn up the dross, burn up the garbage in our lives if we'll only let Him. And what He'll do is place within us, after that flame comes through, He'll place within us His love. Because God is love. It's not just something He does on the side. It's not one of His characteristics or qualities. He actually is love itself. And in order to love others, like you tell your kids, like you tell your family, like you tell your spouse, in order to actually do what you tell them, you must have God. You must have His Spirit. So this morning, do you know and have the assurance of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or have you just been playing church? Have you just been playing God? Has things grown cold for you? Have you swayed to the right or to the left of the journey? Have you fallen into a pit because you've been following your own ways? Do you need God's light now? Do you need Him to kill something that you've held on to for years? Do you need His purifying fire, His cleansing? Do you need His love that only comes with a person, the Holy Spirit? Does He need to raise you up this morning? Remember, I always preach to myself. Not ever at you. You're just overhearing what I'm saying to remind myself. And so this morning, um, I would invite you, I want Rachel uh, to come if she will and lead us.